Hey guys, welcome back or welcome to The Evolution. My name is Jeff Bayless. I'm your host, um, the facilitator of this project. Today's guest is uh, Adriel Fernandez, also goes by The Blind Ninja. And I think you'll find his story pretty inspiring. You know, you, your life has seasons. There's uh, ebb and flow of hardship and then overwhelming joy, right? A lot of us are probably currently experiencing some form of uh, what we may consider in our bubble of reality to be problems. And uh, I don't know what that looks like for you, and I don't want to tell his story. I want to let you listen to his story. But what I can tell you is that, uh, man, when you think you've got a rough, just listen to this guy's story and his perspective on how to overcome uh, his hardship. Man, I mean, I couldn't be more proud to know this guy. Uh, so take a listen, apply some of his thoughts to your own personal situation at this time. And if you like what he's got to say, you know, check him out. I'll put a link to all the show notes and reach out to him personally. It would mean a lot to me if you would reach out to him and uh, let him know what you thought of his story and how he's dealing with uh, some of the challenges that he's been facing. Uh, again, if you like what I'm doing, don't hesitate to reach out to me and, um, you know, do all the things. Like it, share it, make a comment, give me feedback. All that stuff is good. Um, <clears throat> I think that it's important to share this stuff or I wouldn't be doing it. And uh, like I always say, a rising tide lifts all boats. Here's my friend, Adriel. The Blind Ninja. All right, cool, man. Hey, um, Adriel, I appreciate also The Blind Ninja, right? Yeah. I appreciate you uh, being a little bit flexible with your schedule and coming on the show, man. So uh, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for letting me be on it. But it's exciting. Awesome, man. Yeah, first podcast, right? First time sharing your story, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been wanting to uh, do something like this for a while. And just wasn't really sure how to really go about it. So I'm really glad for this chance to, uh, yeah, share my story and my message. Uh, I think it'll help a lot of people. Yeah, I'm all about that, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, I joined the Navy back in 2009. I was in the Navy for nine years as a bosun mate. Yeah. I served, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I served in uh, San Diego for the most part for the first five years. Uh, most of that was with uh, Amphibious Construction Battalion 1 in Coronado. And then from there, I went to Groton, Connecticut, submarine base, where I went for shore duty. That's where I picked up first class. And then August 27, 2017, was when I was in a motorcycle accident that uh, caused me to lose my sight. And uh, since then, I've just been trying to kick ass and take names. <laughs> So um, let's back up a little bit. So what was life like for you in the Navy? So um, you, I mean, you obviously had goals and aspirations. So you had how many years in when you made first class? I had seven. I was just seven. over seven. Okay. Yeah. And what was family life like for you then? I didn't have family life back then. I was single. Mm -hmm. um, when, you know, I think back then I was kind of, was really ambitious when I first joined the Navy, as uh, especially being like in deck division, I was pretty disgruntled. I was a typical disgruntled deck seaman. I hated everything. And uh, I had uh, just some good leaders around me, though. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, you know, one of them in particular, he made a good point to me. He said, if, if you don't like the way things are going, why don't you make a difference about it? You know, why don't you basically get your head out of your ass? And, you know, kind of be the petty officer that you wish your petty officers were. And as soon as that happened, I started, you know, got my shit together and I picked up, I was able to pick a rank pretty fast. I got mapped to second and first class. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, it really, it's like, it really puts things in a perspective. Like, wow, like just what a difference it makes when you really just kind of humble yourself and take initiative to, uh, to, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, like Gandhi says. I think that's – a lot mm -hmm. of us don't – you take that for granted, but it's true. It works. 
So we're doing well in the Navy. Um, single, make first class maps. So you got meritoriously uh, advanced promotion, right? Um, both both times. And then tell us a little bit about the, um, you know, I guess your goals obviously were to make chief or go officer or something to that effect, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the time I was on shore duty, really focusing on getting my schoolwork done because I wanted to go officer. Eventually, I wanted to go officer. Obviously, you know, I would have been great to make chief first. But I wanted to set myself up with as many options as possible, you know, whether it was OCS, LDO, whatever. Uh, Actually, that's that's a good place to kind of pause for a minute, too, because um, – or not pause, but at least unpack that, because I give that advice to a lot of junior sailors, and I know a lot of junior sailors are going to listen to this, too, you know. I beat my chest for a lot of years. Like I got to make chief before I go LDO and I got to, you know, you should give yourself every opportunity to explore whatever uh, avenue is going to be best for you and growth, uh, whether that's promotion and rank. Uh, obviously, you know, I love being a chief now and everybody that listens to this knows my story, but uh, the, the message, not necessarily the story, but the message is, yeah, you should explore all options. You should do all the things, right? And, yeah. Uh, sounds like that's what you were trying to do, right? You know. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think, uh, especially back when I was a seaman, uh, I'd see all these people who they'd have their mindset like, hey, I'm going to get out of the Navy. I'm going to get out of the Navy. I'm going to get out of the Navy. Or they want to stay in. And that was back in the PTS days. They're kicking people out left and right. Sure. And a lot of people were saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to get out of the Navy anyway. And then, you know, six months before they, their time to get out, they decide, oh, crap, kind of wish I was staying in. Or vice versa, there's people who wanted to stay in and they couldn't, but they never had that kind of attitude where I need to, you know, make, make the most out of everything, take advantage of every opportunity I get. So I learned from that. And, you know, I always got every qualification I could get, every, you know, warfare pin I could get. And like I said, just try to set myself up to give myself as many options as possible. Because at the end of the day, you can only control so much when you're in the Navy. Right. In the military in general. So it's important that you do your part. So that way, when you want something, you know, there's no excuses and you can't, you know, you don't want to, I, don't, I didn't want to bite myself in the butt and thinking like, shit, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that while I was in. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you can only control what you can control. Right. And, and that knowledge alone is pretty profound because there are certain things like you can't control what the quotas are. You can't control who your boss is. You can't control that you got sent in the grot in the Connecticut, which I've been there. I went there for uh, DAPA school and <laughs> there's not a lot going on in Groton, Connecticut. No, there's not. <laughs> yeah. So there's some things that are outside of your control and you just have to make the best out of the situation. Yeah, that's pretty profound. So, and you, you were on the fast track and wanted to commission and, uh, you know, I guess you were going to school. What were you doing? Like online school up there? Yeah. At that point I was doing school online. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what was your job there? So I was the LPO of the paint barge. Okay. So what we did, um, issuing out paint and stuff to the submarines. Sure. And, uh, while I was there, so we were part of the repair division and we did like, uh, paint inspections on the submarines and stuff like that. Um, so not the most arduous yeah. duty in the world. So you found time in, um, in your schedule to get some school done, which is good advice too. Anytime any sailor ever goes to shore duty yeah. or when a ship goes to dry dock, they should definitely be going to school. I mean, there's absolutely no reason to not do that. Yeah. So then I guess, like you said, you got, you got in a motorcycle accident. What, what kind of motorcycle was it? So I had a Harley, a Harley low rider S. Okay. Uh, it's funny because I had right rated sport bikes before and I told myself I was going to buy a Harley because, you know, I was like, this is going to be safer. I don't know what my, lo the logic made sense at the time. Thinking like, you know, I'll just get a Harley, I'll cruise and, you know, it'll be a little bit safer. Because the the roads up there in Groton or in Connecticut really were really narrow. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was like windy, really, really tight, windy roads where. When I went to school up there, I was thinking this would be beautiful country. I'm a cyclist. Well, you know, I'm yeah. a triathlete too. Yeah. So I was like, 
man, this would be a beautiful area to ride your bicycle. So I can imagine yeah. for, for a motorcycle to be cool as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> yeah. You want to tell us about the story with your accident? Yeah, sure. Um, so it was, uh, it was a Sunday mm-hmm. and I was actually riding out to meet with a motorcycle club that is for veterans, uh, firefighters and police. And I just thought it'd be cool. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, why not meet new people, other people, like-minded people who want to ride bikes and stuff like that. Uh, so we went, had lunch together and then, uh, we had to, and then I left cause I actually had to go to work. Um, and, uh, sorry, this is kind of hard for me, but, uh, no, it's good, man. Take your time. So, so yeah, I was, uh, so I left, um, I got to this intersection and I don't know what I went to pass a car on the left and I don't know what possessed me to do that because I know, you know, from riding before and having been hit before, this is actually my third accident, but, um, I, I know better than to one to to be doing any kind of passing or anything like that at an intersection mm-hmm. and especially not illegally passing you know so it was a single lane road and what happened was a car in front of me I saw the light seemed like it was pretty far away so I passed the car that was in front of me and then there was another car in front of that car that I did not see. So then at that point I was stuck and I had to commit to passing. And then in passing the second car, a third car turned in front of that car who, you know, didn't see me. So then I, uh, so I T-boned it. So you, you T-boned that car. Yeah. Okay. And you had all your PPE on your protective equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God for that. Yeah. Did you have a full face helmet or just a hat? I did. I did. Okay. And uh, it's funny because people used to give me shit for wearing a full face helmet with a Harley. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, come on. You wear a Harley. Like who wears a full face helmet? And I was always like, man, I don't want to mess up my face. (laughs) (laughs) But even though the helmet probably did save my life, you know, it also, what happened was the, the helmet, basically it was what crushed my face mm. so from the impact the helmet flexed inward and that's uh what broke everything so how fast were you going probably about 40 50 miles per hour yeah i was just listening to a podcast with uh, dan butner on uh rich roll and he was talking about uh, the the life expectancy this dude like studies the blue zones. I don't know if you've heard of that, but a uh, super yeah. good book. Anyway, he talks about like people that live to be a hundred years old and how they do so. And uh, anyway, he was talking about the impact of the speed you're going and I'm going to mess up the statistics, so I won't, but basically above 40 miles an hour, your chances to live are like 10% or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, less than 40, you got a better shot. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, cause I know, you know, the doctors made it very clear to me that <laughs> I was lucky that I was even alive. And, you know, the fact that I even had use of my limbs um, doing a head-on collision like that, the fact that it just break my neck. So did you, impact. so you, you made impact and then tell us what happened then. So did you pass out or how did that? No, I was wide yeah. awake the whole time. My arm was broken. Also my left arm. Uh, at that time you have so much adrenaline, you know, you're not really feeling any pain. Mm. and I was trying to get up and every time I got up I kept falling and I thought it was just because I was dizzy but it was actually because my arm was broken and so every time I put my arm down to stand it would just you know fall under it and I I didn't think I was blind I thought because I first thing because I couldn't see right away and I checked the visor and my visor was still intact so I thought, oh, okay, well, my eyes are good. You know, and those, I thought, you know, it's not like the visor cracked and stabbed me in the eyes. Um, but my mouth was like broken, broken. I thought I lost all my teeth. 
hmm. because I'd move my tongue around and I could only feel like two or three teeth. And yeah, so I tried getting up and people were like, stop moving. You need to really like stop. But I was like, what? Like, guys, I'm fine. But uh, I really wasn't. I had I was bleeding a lot. And I didn't want to lay down either because when I, at that point I would start drowning in my blood essentially. Oh, so you so, had the wherewithal to know that. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say the wherewithal, just the, okay, I feel like I'm going to die right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So literally if I laid down, I was, you know, I could just feel like everything going down my throat and I couldn't breathe. Uh, that's why I, have a tra- I had to get a tracheotomy. You can, I don't know if you guys can see it through the camera, but there's a, yeah, I see the scar in your neck, yeah. Yeah, so pretty gnarly scar when the EMTs got there, they had to do that. Um, so let's let's summarize your injuries for people just to try to kind of paint the picture. So obviously instant blindness. Your mouth is broken, so we're talking about your jaw area? My entire face. Okay. Uh, yeah, so my mandible, the... Uh, <clears throat> My cheekbones. So my face is actually had a really good. It's a lot of plates. Mm-hmm. I have metal all the way up here on my forehead. My frontal bone broke. My cheeks broke. These all metal. Uh, my nose. Uh, yeah, like I said, my mandible. All this. The top of my mouth was broken. Uh, but you kept all your teeth. I kept all my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't uh, go through a metal detector, but at least you yeah. have your. <laughs> At least you have your teeth, right? Okay, so yeah. then going down, so then I guess your your windpipe was kind of crushed. Is that why they had the trachea or? No, they had to do the trachea because because of all the bleeding. And my brain uh, my brain was leaking CSF, cerebral spinal fluid. Okay. So what was happening was all those fluids were going through my air holes. Hmm. So. Um, and then your arm was broken, but no, no lower body injuries, no chest injuries. Yeah, no lower body injuries. Not so just, uh, pretty much you took most of it on your face. Yeah. Wow. In a full face helmet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so EMTs arrive. Um, obviously, they rushed you to the hospital. And what are you thinking? Are you thinking you're going to die or what's your... I you, was. I was. Are you religious at all? Do you, do you have like a, a I spiritual? am. Okay. I am. Um, I, so at that moment, you know, I, you know, once the, um, especially once the EMTs got there and I don't know if it was just like the blood loss and stuff or maybe like the realization of how severe it was. Uh, but I definitely started getting like, kind of like, oh shit, like I think I'm going, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had that talk with God and I was like, like, is this the end? Am I done now? And, you know, and I heard that voice that it was like, no, I'm not done with you yet. And shortly thereafter, I got, you know, put under anesthesia, helicopter to the hospital where I was treated. And that was in Connecticut, I guess, probably yeah, yeah. like Providence in, or something like that? Or? I was in Mansfield, Mansfield, Connecticut. So um, you get lifted to the helicopter. Uh, or to the hospital via helicopter, you get there, and then how long are you there? So I was at that hospital for a little over two weeks there, because uh, I was in intensive care unit, ICU. Mm-hmm. They had to do, like, the immediate life-saving uh, surgeries at the time when I got there, and then about a week after, once the swelling went down, that's when they did... Um, all like the reconstructive surgery. Okay. The, you know, plastic surgery or whatever, putting the plates in and um, brain surgery also. Oh, really? What was yeah. the brain surgery? Um, my understanding of it was they just had to basically drain all the CSF and blood that was in my head. And okay. then and one of the plates that got put in was at the base of my skull. I wish I'd asked them at that time if they could kind of point like where on my head that plate is yeah that's the only one that's not on my face it's somewhere underneath my brain um i'm not sure how that fracture happened there but it's there so and is that what caused your blindness then no it was the eyes my eyes so my eyes ruptured think about like a water balloon if you squeeze a water balloon too tight Mm -hmm. basically that's what happened and then i just couldn't imagine yeah 
Yeah. Uh, so the doctors, you know, they have to like basically what they did was they sew the eye back together and uh, just kind of hope that it would heal. Because at that point, you know, it was already, they already knew it was going to be blind. There was too much damage. But it was a matter of how much I would be able to see. Because when people think of blindness, you know, everyone thinks like, oh, you're totally blind. You can't see anything. But there's actually a lot of levels to blindness, mm -hmm. which was something that I was ignorant to before my accident. So there's people that are blind that have, you know, different amounts of vision, whether you're just legally blind to... Some people can see shapes and colors, and some people only see shadows. Uh, there's a lot of variation, but, but basically, they wanted to know where I was going to be on that spectrum, and obviously, they wanted me to be as close to having vision as possible. Yeah, but ultimately, you have zero vision now. Zero vision, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how does it how does the transition go from okay so you've had all the surgeries now right so your arm is fixed you're probably in a cast they've sewed up your trach I mean they've done the brain surgery they've put in the plates now you you can't see right and you're having to deal with this like how was that so other other than the blindness I mean you were pretty able to I mean even just looking at you I wouldn't know that you yeah know, you had all this reconstructive surgery right uh, yeah so obviously the the hardest hurdle or maybe not obviously, but my assumption would be the hardest hurdle would be losing your eyesight, right? Yeah. And so what what was that like mentally at first? That was really, really hard. Um, as I'm sure you could imagine, especially because I had perfect eyesight. Like I didn't have glasses or anything. Um, and I think the worst part about it was nobody wanted to tell me. Um, at... Um, I, uh, so my brother was the one who, uh, actually told me, mm -hmm. um, because, <clears throat> so my eyes were covered and I couldn't really open my eyelids anyway, because, um, because of like the stitches they had to the globes. But yeah, like I said, nobody was telling me and, um, you know, when that was along with my brother and I had to ask him. And he told me, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I as grateful as I was for, you know, being alive and um, not having, you know, still having everything else being in as good shape as it was. You know, it, it's hard to look at that. It's hard to look at the positives. At that point. Um, you know, I just thought my career was over. My life was over. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to see the light when you're in the tunnel still, you know. Yeah. It is. Um, I've been there too, man. It's it's a hard place to be. And, you know, it's like they say the journey of a thousand steps or the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And that's the deal, man. You just got to take each step, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not – you can't even focus that you're never going to see again. You just got to worry about how am I going to get out of this bed? How am I going to get out of this hospital? You know, how am I going to get back to a normal life? Right. So yeah. how did that, how did that transition end up working for you? I mean, obviously, you know, your career is in fact over. I mean, yeah, you, you can't, <laughs> you can't operate in any function on active duty with zero eyesight. Right. So yeah. How did that transition work out for you? Um, so at first it was definitely really hard, <clears throat> especially for the first two months or so I was basically in, I was either in intensive care or I was at a rehab hospital and I was pretty much bedridden. I wasn't really getting out of bed much unless I had to, uh, mainly because they had just like all this shit connected to me. Sorry, excuse my language, but. They had, you know, I constantly had IVs in, stuff like that. Um, my mouth was wired shut. I had a peg tube, so basically a lot of stuff connected to me. So I really couldn't get out of the bed. And uh, eventually, once I got stable, I went to the blind rehabilitation program through the VA. Oh, okay. Yeah, where I was able to start learning about what life could be like 
being blind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people have, you know, their gripes and complaints about the VA. I mean, I definitely do. But but I think that the the Navy's, or not the Navy, but the VA does a lot of great stuff for the visually impaired veterans. And I talk to, like, some civilians that are blind. And I'm so grateful for the VA because they've provided so many resources that have been, you know, a huge help for me transitioning. So how long was that? uh, Like, I guess the question would be how long, how long until you're, Hey, I'm out of my own and I'm able to operate, you know, in a normal function because you were single, right? So you had no wife, no kids, no family. I mean, that were local, right? Cause you were displaced to Groton, Connecticut and your family's from New York. So. Yeah. So December 15th, um, I was, I was, uh, free to go. Uh, at that point, I was able to go home, and I still had uh, my brother came and spent. My brother, who actually lives in San Francisco, he was able to remote work remotely and come live with me for a month to help me transition, help me get all my affairs in order. Uh, because the Navy was really quick to, you know, give me all the paperwork I had to fill to, you know, get medically retired. Yeah. And. And just, yeah, learning the transition. I mean, they, you know, the VA did give me those lessons, life lessons on how to, you know, take care of myself at home, self-grooming, how to prepare meals for myself. And, uh, but, you know, obviously it's, say it's easier said than done. So it was good to have our brother there to help me. It's kind of oversight and help realize some of the little details that, you really can't learn anywhere. It's kind of just like, okay, well, this is my house. This is my stove or this is my microwave. This is, this is the stuff I deal with every day. Yeah. So having him there to help me kind of find out, find out how to do things, you know? And so, uh, you get, you get medically discharged. So that means basically you get a hundred percent of your base pay, right? I guess for the rest of your life, is that how that works? Uh, no, I think you had an option. I think, actually, I think that is, so you have two options. You can either get, when you get medically retired, you get all the, you know, retirement benefits Mm -hmm. and then you get to choose either from the VA disability rate or the DOD disability rate. It wasn't really, it wasn't what I was getting paid. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, but it was basically... They had a you know X amount, and then the you just pick the higher of the two and go and with that. Exactly. Yeah. So you get home, you're transitioning, you're learning how to groom yourself, how to cook. At what point does life start? You know, obviously, was there some? For me, I can only imagine that there had to have been some dark thoughts during this time, right? I mean, did depression set in? Did you have any suicidal ideations? Did you have loneliness, anxiety, worry, self doubt? Was any of this in- all the above? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I guess I'll start from the beginning. But the you know at that point, like I said, I thought my life was over. Um, I really didn't want to live anymore, and I, I just one. It was even if I wanted to, you know, if I was ready to like make an action, it was kind of difficult being in the hospital because. I'm basically tied to a bed with all this crap. So if I wanted to hurt myself, it was a little difficult. But I really, I really thought about all the people that I had already lost to suicide. And I just thought, of, you know, I was like, man, like, I just remembered how much I hurt from that. And how much, you know, my the, those people who did do, you know, do that and how their family felt afterwards and, you know, I didn't want to put anyone through that. That's really what. I think that's a, an important message. And I, you know, that even if you're going to be selfish and make it about yourself, you know, you have to know that when you have suicidal ideations and you're thinking of a way to kill yourself where it's not going to hurt someone else, it's impossible. It's, that's just the yeah. reality. It, it is impossible. It's going to impact someone, probably many people. And, um, I mean, I've, I've been there too, man, where 
had those thoughts and it's like, okay, well, how can I do this where it just really won't impact anybody And every solution? Like if you looked at a math problem, every solution was infinite pain <laughs> for yeah. those around me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would think like maybe there's a way that it's less graphic. So it won't be so bad or maybe I'll find some way to make my own body disappear. Right. Or anything, you know, but then it just, yeah, it comes down to it. It's like, man, like, Oh, my mother, you know, like I could just imagine. And then it's not a, and my brother and my family, just like my friends, like, wow, like what, you know, what are they going to go through? Um, yep. You know, they're, they've been through enough just knowing that I'm here in this hospital. Did you ever so, seek out help? I did. Didn't really get much help, which, uh, unfortunately, um, what, where did you, where did you reach? Who did you talk to? Through the VA, or not even through the VA. Well, some stuff through the VA, some stuff uh, back when I was on active duty, uh, while I was getting ready to get separated. Mm -hmm. And the way the the way the system was, it was like, okay, well, you'd have to set up an appointment, a two hour appointment, just to see who's going to treat you. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get treated, but then it's a, you know, it's a month before you get seen for your first two hour interview. And then another two hour, you know, another month before you see someone. And I had a really unpleasant experience too, where, you know, the nurse that was trying to do the triage stuff to schedule these appointments. I didn't like the way she was talking to me because really she wasn't talking to me. She was talking about me and I just got mad and I left. Um, and I just had, you know, having, I guess, you know, my brother, I got to give a lot of credit to him. He was uh, a big help for me throughout all of that. So you think it was your brother that you ended up talking to that? Yeah, my brother was, was the lifeline. Yeah, he was the one that I felt that I could talk to who could. Give yeah, me I talk life. about that a lot, too, man, because um, I definitely encourage people to reach out for the resources that are there. But again, like for me, it was probably my wife you know, that was my lifeline that I could actually, and my dad, but you know, it, I don't discourage people from trying to use the resources because I think they're all there for a reason. If that's your pastor or your, you know, your chaplain or, you know, there's counseling through the Navy and all that stuff, but it doesn't have to look like a, doesn't have to be a specific thing. It can be, I mean, it could have been a conversation that we would have had on a podcast that might've saved your life. I mean, you just never know, you know what I mean? So yeah conversations are good. And so I'd also encourage anybody if they have, if they see somebody that is going through a struggle, you know, reach out and talk to that person because, you know, you just don't know, you might save a life. And uh, yeah. I, pers I personally believe that I have saved lives, man. Uh, and I'm not in any way, shape or form qualified. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like there's nothing after my name, you know, PhD, DD, and there's nothing after my name that says I'm qualified to do that. But I know yeah. I have because you know, it, we can all help each other, man. So. Yeah. I tell everyone that same thing, just, you know, if you're the one that's hurting, you know, reach out to anyone. It doesn't matter who you feel comfortable talking to, but just talk to them and to anyone else, always make yourself available because you don't know who, you don't know whose life you're going to have that impact on that you could, you know, really save someone's life. And, yeah, that's what this that's what this whole project is about, man. Yeah. Um okay, so then now we're we're through the dark time, I guess, for the most part. I mean, we've kind of decided your brother and uh helped you get through and um how do you start getting into uh relationships? Uh, I mean you're married now, right? And yeah. I We'll, we'll get to the triathlon and the marathons and stuff like that. Cause that's super dope. But so the, the marriage thing is actually really funny how that worked out because when I got out of the hospital, I wasn't sure who knew about my accidents. I knew some people did know, some people didn't know. So I wanted to kind of clear the air. So I went on social media and I posted a picture of myself you know my face at the time with my eyes being tricycle which is kind of where they get gray and stuff and mm. so people could see you know you could see from the photos that there was something wrong 
Um, and I posted something on Instagram and I think Facebook about it. How do and you, how do you do that? I think my brother helped me that time. Okay. But yeah, now so are you able to manage your own social media and stuff like that? Yeah, for the most part. Hmm. So there's a, the technology that um, Apple has and other, you know, there's different things, but I use Apple that has a thing called voiceover. Mm-hmm. It's a setting. It's not like an app. It's a setting that's on anyone's iPhone or iMac or MacBook or whatever. Mm-hmm. And basically what happens is the, uh, the screen reads to you what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. And there's a, I don't I mean, I don't know what it looks like, but there's a cursor. There's something on there that you can move. So on my phone, I can move it with like with my fingers, you know, you swipe right, swipe left, swipe up, swipe down. Mm-hmm. And that'll give you, you know, that'll move the cursor to do, to get some things and it'll read it to you as it's there. And then there's different shortcuts and tricks to, you know, make the phone do different things. So you put something on social media and, uh, and what happened there? Yes. And then my wife, so my wife saw the picture and me and my wife were not together at the time, obviously, but uh, we actually had dated for about almost, almost two years back in 2014. I had met her on RIMPAC on the USS Rushmore. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we had maintained in contact and then we started dating and then we broke up because of, of my career aspirations. You know, I was very selfish. All I cared about was, you know, my career, doing what I had to do to, you know, advance in my career. She was more focused on settling down. I know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't really mature enough at the time to realize that, you know, you can't do both. But, um, but anyway, so she sees the picture and at first she thought it was some sort of like a filter, you know, some sort of filter thing to give myself a weird face or weird eyes. And then, so she, you know, scrolled right past it. And then her sister, who was also following me, saw the picture also. And then she asked her, she was like, Hey, like what happened to him? So then she realized that it wasn't a filter and that I had gone through something as she reached out to me, um, you know, just to check up on me, see how I was doing. Neither one of us really thought much of it at the time. And then every now and then she would just kind of randomly stuff would come up and she would check up like, Hey, like, how's it going? Are you okay? Da, 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 da. She was living in New York at the time. Oh, she had gotten out then. Yeah. She had gotten out to yeah. Navy back in 2015. Okay. So, uh, so that I was going to New York to finish a tattoo that I had started uh, before my accident. Um, I know it's kind of dumb, but I was like, I was going to say, I, don't, <laughs> I was going to say, but you can't even see it. I couldn't see it, but I was like, I'm not going to have a half done tattoo. And it was actually one of my more important tattoos to me because I'm was, sure. Yeah. I, a, I had a leg sleeve that I had done like for the, it was all like Navy stuff. So it meant a lot to me. The, the tattoo so I was like I might as well just finish it whatever when the artist was done he's like do you like it you're like I gotta trust you right yeah, yeah I'll take your word for it <laughs> oh, yeah. cool yeah um so anyway, it brings you back to New York yeah yeah so my wife was like oh well I'll I'll meet up with you and I was like okay cool so we met up we got dinner um you know we just chatted caught up on stuff and then one thing led to another and then we got married. I, I, uh, I was actually going to, so. How long have you guys been married now? Just over a year. We got married October of last year. Well, congratulations. 18, thank you. Yeah, you're still newlyweds, man. Yeah, yeah. People tell me that I've been married for, I guess, three and a half years. I mean, I've known my wife for nine years. But, yeah, man, the... Um, it's interesting the things that can bring you together, you know, yeah. and, and a woman that will uh, love you through traumatic experiences, man, in, in my experience, that's a keeper. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and you know, I'm really grateful for her and I, I was kind of in denial at first when we first started talking 
because, you know, I was ready. I was ready to move to San Diego again. I was like, you know, I'm just going to go move to San Diego. I want to try to just be as independent, but at least I'll have warm weather so I can walk around, you know. And the closer and closer I got to moving, all these little things started coming up, you know, these little roadblocks. And I was like, man, I think this, this might be a sign that I need to stay. It's universal design. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I really thought about it. And I'm like, man, after everything that me and her had been through, I had put her through the ringer, you know. So, and the fact that she was still willing to, you know, give me a chance, especially now after the trauma that I had been through. And we both had a lot of unknowns. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen with my life, really. Um, and I, you know, it just hit me. I'm like, you know, like, like, why wouldn't you go back to her and, you know, be with her? You know, I loved her. So it's like, why was I, why was I still trying to run away, trying to be selfish and, uh, you know, yeah, sticking around was probably the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Old habits die hard. And sometimes our stubbornness can, you know, we can, can't see the forest for the trees, you know, and it's, it's easy to get laser focused, I think. And, uh, Sometimes it's not for the better of us type A, boast mate, you know, mentalities or guys that are just, you know, definitely goal oriented or not, there's really not a better word for it than stubbornness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm glad that that uh, I'm glad you came into your life at the right time. And I don't think that that was on accident, but also I think you have to be willing to receive love. You know, I think for a lot of years for me personally, it was hard to receive love. Uh, like unconditional love, right? Out, out of my own guilt or my own ego. I don't, part, part of me means ego, like, uh, you know, my cockiness, but also mean ego that it was about me. And, yeah. Uh, I think what you learn after a certain, maybe hopefully you don't need something traumatic to learn it, but eventually you will hopefully learn that it's not about you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it took a long time for me to realize that. Yeah. Yeah, it's not about you at all. It's about, uh, I mean, for me, it's God, but, you know, in that service of others. Um, but it's, it, it manifests itself differently for everyone. So I'm glad you found love, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So uh, then at some point, you get into endurance events. So were you athletic before or just outside of, like, your requirements in the Navy? Uh, um, I was always pretty athletic. I never mm. competed or anything like that, but I had done a triathlon before, a marathon. Um, I'd done like, you know, like random races here and there. And I just, I used to just do it for fun. To me, it was kind of like, I just always wanted to be ready. You know, I wanted to be in as good shape as possible. So I didn't really care if I finished, like even during the races, I would, you know, drink a beer during a race. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so mm. it was just, to me, it was just a matter of saying, Hey, I finished this, you know, this race or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so I guess the other question I would have is like, uh, were any of your senses and you hear about this and I don't know if it's true, but I wrote this down cause I wanted to ask you for sure. Like, have you had other senses since you've lost your eyesight that are enhanced? Is that, is that real? That's a myth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so I actually lost my sense of smell also. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's from one of the plates in my head. Uh, I guess it blocks the nerve, the olfactory mm. nerve. So that's why I can't smell. Since my accident, I've got a little bit of my smell back, but it's different. I try. It's, it's really hard for me to explain it to people, but basically there's, I would say about seven or so, like smells. And those smells don't smell like what they used to smell like, but I can recognize that smell with what it is. Yeah, well, that's so interesting. I, yeah, your synapses are firing in a different direction, maybe, or something like that. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. can smell coffee, but it doesn't smell like coffee. Mm. I can smell food, but all food smells the same. I wonder if, like, uh, you hadn't had sight before, like if you were born blind, if that would be the same experience, or is it maybe because of the accident, because of the, you know, the... the the brain surgery and stuff. Well, well, what it is, is that 
it's not that your senses get heightened. Mm-hmm. It's that sometimes you pay more attention to your senses. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. and I actually learned that during my, when I would get mobility instruction, uh, my, my instructor would tell me like, okay, really, really stop and listen. And, you know, and then I'm like, okay, I see what you're saying. He was like, do you see how you can hear that you're in a bigger room or you can mm. hear that you're in a hallway? And, you know, he kind of explained to me, like, everyone can do this. The thing is, we, we, we just, before, we're so, like, reliant on our sight that we don't pay attention to some of the other cues like that. Like, so it's not necessarily that my hearing's better. But when I want to focus in on something, I definitely, I guess, just know how to. But So how does that, uh, I mean, the reason I asked that question is because then you did start getting into triathlon, marathon. So, I mean, tell us a little about what sport means to you now and how you're able to do that. It means everything to me. It's, uh, it's what got me out of the hospital for sure. Um, you know, once I got out of my you know, feeling sorry for myself and that depression, what helped me get out of it was I set some goals and it started with athletic goals and, you know, other goals. I was, you know, I want to finish my degree, but I told myself, I was like, you know what, just cause you're blind, life's not over, you know, finish what you started. Um, so one of my, one of my goals was I'm going to do an Ironman. Another goal that was, that's a goal that I've always had lifelong goal that I've always had, I was, you know, I want to do an Ironman. Have you done one yet? I still have not. Have you had your eye on any? I did. Yeah. I was, I was supposed to do Texas 2020 this year, mm-hmm. but I haven't been able to get my own tandem bike yet. So oh, I uh, see. that, that puts a hiccup in things. Um, but hopefully this summer I'll have a bike. Well, and, we'll, uh, we'll talk off show, man. I mean, um, okay. I know some people that are, um, triathletes and, and yeah definitely i've done a few ironmans myself and there's i have some recommendations for you for course stuff but okay cool anyway um so yeah so you wanted to wanted to get back into triathlon back into movement yeah. in, in general and yes so 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 ironman was like that big goal and i told myself i was gonna run another marathon even though i had one one before I was like, I'm going to run it again. I'm going to do a blind. Um, I wanted to do the Spartan trifecta, which was something I had started that year of my accident. And I told myself, I was like, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to find a way and I'm going to finish it. I'm going to get it done. And through that, I kind of, you know, I told someone I wanted to do a triathlon and they were like, okay, you want to do an Ironman. Okay, well, let's start doing some other races, some sprint distance triathlons. And through that, I realized that I, you know, I could actually be competitive. Uh, so I stuck with it, not just for the Ironman, but it's just also, it's just, it's fun to do it. I'm like, you know, why not? It keeps me active. Um, I talk a lot about the, um, the meditative quality and the benefits of movement. Um, I think that a lot of us don't, you know, it's easy to reach for these other coping mechanisms, alcohol, drugs, sex, uh, you know, promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people do shopping, whatever your thing is, you know, I think, I think it's undervalued in, in some circles, the positive impact, just a little bit of movement in your life can do for you. Uh, for sure. You know, there's a dopamine receptor. There's uh there's a lot going on in your brain along with what's going on in your body, but, there's a lot going on in your brain and you know, I've never had a workout that I regretted. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've never crossed the finish line and been like, man, that really sucked. And I'm sorry I did that. You know, I've definitely said that sucked, but I've never said, I'm sorry I did that because there's a feeling of not only accomplishment, um, but it, it's really hard to explain unless you've actually done it, you know, yeah. but it, it is very similar to the, um, the receptors, uh, in your brain when, uh, yeah, I think it's called a cannabinoid. I just read a book about it, uh, The Joy of Movement, and the author was talking about it. It's very similar. Uh, I'm not condoning marijuana usage or anything like that, but uh, it talks about how the receptor in the brain is very similar to uh, the introduction of THC to the brain. 
the same same reaction through just moving your body and how much healthier is that than you know utilizing drugs to try to get there yeah um, so i think i think that's empowering and pretty encouraging to hear from a guy that you know by all intents and purposes should not be doing this because it's probably risky to be out there running a trail with no eyesight whatsoever right <laughs> yeah so how does yeah. that work so you're obviously tethered to somebody yeah yeah so, how do you find those volunteers so most of them i found through this organization called uh, achilles international okay and you know they help get you know people with disabilities to do marathons and stuff like that and uh through, and then also through another organization called Dare to Try, which is in the Midwest. Uh, okay. Their basically focus, main focus is triathlons. Cool. For people with disabilities. Um, so it's great through that. And then just kind of getting out there. I mean, I just met some local people. You know, you go out there and people are see you and they're like, oh, wow. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's great. I'm like, cool. You want to join me? Because I could use more help, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you down so for I'll, 20 miles? Cause I need somebody to hold my goo. Yeah. Cause I can't tell where I'm going. Yeah. So, so I'm always, I just try to get out there as much as possible. And I, I recruit people, literally go out there and recruit people. Yeah. Like, like, Hey, let's go swimming. Hey, let's, let's go for a run. I think that's a good message too, is just kind of put yourself out there, you know, and even with this podcast, I've kind of swung big and you never know who's going to, come have a really impactful story or, you know, just put yourself out there and anything you're trying to do, if you put yourself out there, I think the universe tries to kind of reward you with that. Um, I would also offer to you, I volunteer at the USO outdoor adventure team here in Virginia beach. Uh, so if you're ever down in this area, we do, uh, uh, we have like a Wahoo studio and we're all about, uh, helping, uh, veterans and families, um, you know, basically, through activity, through outdoor activity, cycling, hiking, running, swimming, yoga, you name it, man. We, we're all about that. So if you're ever in the area, hit me up for sure. Uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, we'll do something cool together. Maybe we'll do a marathon or something. Let me know. I need guides. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, you let me know. Like, I'll work around your schedule. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The um, And I also wanted to mention, like, before – before the triathlons and the marathons, it was definitely like that goal setting, like I said, that kind of got me going. But I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which oh, right. yep. that, and I think that's something I definitely want to emphasize because the way I explain it is, you know, my resilience got me out of the hospital bed, but jiu-jitsu was what got me out of the door. Um, I was, you know, even when I was out and about when I got home, I felt very comfortable outside you know eventually in my own home I you know doing whatever I needed to do to take care of myself but I would always get really bad anxiety traveling by myself uh, doing anything basically outside my front door even picking up the trash cans um, and jujitsu was something that I had wanted to get into before losing my sight and that one of my roommates at the time was like hey why don't you you should still go try it out and I did, and, you know, it was great, and it's given me a lot of confidence, and it made me realize, like, just because you can't see doesn't mean, like, you're any less human than anyone else. Yeah. At that point, uh, being disabled, everybody was kind of, like, feeling sorry for me, mm -hmm. um, emphasizing how little I could, you know, how little I could do, or how little they thought I could do, really. Yeah. And when I got to jujitsu, I got, you know, I got beat up just like everybody else. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there, there was no special treatment for the blind guy. So, and yeah, and, dude, you stepped on the mat. It's game on. Exactly. And yeah. it's, it's very humbling. And it's, it's crazy because to me, like what jujitsu taught me was that, you know, you're, you're not, like, you can't win. Like you just, you really can't win all the time mm. you're going to lose like that and then but it's important to learn you know learn from your losses and you know get back to living life and so then not only did it give me that confidence to walk to you know be myself and walk outside also gave me confidence that 
you know, I could protect myself if something were to happen. And, and yeah, that that life, that lesson that it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter what you got going on. If you're still breathing, you know, you can move forward. You can progress. You know, you lost. Okay, take notes from that. Remember what you did wrong. Try not to make those mistakes again. And keep moving forward. Uh, and that's something I really want to help spread especially to the disabled community, because like you said, there's a benefit to movement. So I always, always, always promote, you know, physical activity, but especially for the disabled community, I really want to promote, um, you know, the benefits of not just Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but martial arts in general. For the confidence portion. Yeah. The yeah. confidence that, yeah, like I said, that life, that life lesson that, you know, you can always learn. You can always learn. You can always get better. Losing is normal. Losing is part of life. It doesn't make you any less human. It doesn't make you any less of a person. Learn from your mistakes and keep, you know, keep moving forward. Yeah, man. Uh, I always recommend this book uh, by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. And uh, he quotes Marcus Aurelius in this book, who's a great Stoic philosopher and meditations he wrote. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So basically what that means is like, it's not in spite of the hardship, it's because of it that you're a better human being. Does that make yeah, sense? Right. So, definitely. you know, <clears throat> I didn't know you before, uh, but obviously you're a super humble guy that's uh, trying to kick life's ass. Right. Um, but you gain that humility piece that maybe I don't want to make assumptions or project onto you, but maybe you didn't have that before, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I can relate because for a lot of my life, I mean, I didn't lose my eyesight, but I, I had a lot of loss for sure. And I think that's a relatable story that a lot of people do have loss in life. You know, it may not look exactly like yours did, or maybe they have a different disability, or maybe they had something else that was debilitating in their life. But the message resonates with everyone that you can pursue through adversity. And it's not in spite of it. It's not like, oh, this happened to me. I'm going to do it anyway. It's no, it's because of it. It's like, like yeah. don't forget it. Don't push it aside. Don't pretend it didn't happen or don't, don't do it just to spite someone to prove them wrong. Do it because of it. Right. Yeah, like, like sure. make it a part of your life. Like don't hide behind it. You know, the other thing is like, you could have taken that darkness, taken that dark time. And I mean, I, I hope this isn't offensive in any way, but you're living in darkness, right? Like you can't yeah. see. Right. So bring that into the light bring it into the light because it's only going to help, you know, be the lighthouse for others. And yeah. uh, I, I really respect what you're doing, man, with your message. I think it's powerful. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm pretty grateful to be your first podcast host because you should write a book, man. <laughs> working on it, but it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ever try I, writing a book? No, uh, I'm working on one too. Yeah. It, it's a lot of, they say it's like uh, eating an elephant. You just got to do one bite at a time. Yeah, it's it's so hard to to one take the time to sit there and write, uh, but it's just yeah, working on a book and uh, maybe ten years will be done. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey man, um, I have a couple of questions that I do want to uh, be sure and ask um, that I had written down uh, as homework, uh, and uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to. Um, so what is your message to someone right now that, uh, you know, maybe they're kind of woe is me or they're feeling like, you know, life is not dealing them a fair set of cards. You know, what is your, uh, what is your message to someone that's very focused on that right now to try to help them pull through? What would, what would, what would you say to that? I'm going to steal what someone else told me mm -hmm. that uh, definitely helped me. Um, when I, so when I was in, uh, I went through a condensed version of Marine Infantry School with uh, the CBs, and we had a staff sergeant there. Everywhere we were doing lunges, somebody did lunges backwards, and he said, "No, you always lunge forward because you always want you always want to go you always want to take it towards the fight." And that's something that resonated with me, where it's like, no matter what's, no matter what you're going through obviously everyone's like you said everyone struggles different i you know I, I have no idea what people are going through what their life's like but always take it towards the fight whatever's going on just keep keep moving towards it you know keep you know obviously like in a positive way uh but it's like you said it's not 
that's what makes us, you know, we, we get forced through that adversity. So by trying to, you know, run away from your problems or your adversity, you're not helping yourself out. You're not helping anyone else out. Whatever your challenge is, find, you know, just go towards it. Go towards the fight. Find your way to go through towards it and then go through it. Yeah, that's powerful, man. Um, last question uh, before I ask, do, do you have anything else you want to share to, uh, to people, like where they can find you or how to connect or? Yeah. Um, so I'll put some. I'll put some stuff in the show notes too, uh, but some people don't okay. read show notes and they might just hear your, <laughs> your website or whatever. Go yeah. to. So go ahead and share. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone wants to hear more about me and some of these, like, you know, like messages of resilience and how I go through things, um, definitely check out, uh, check me out on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. I'm blind ninja. And, on twitter i'm real underscore blind ninja and i'm just definitely trying to spread this message of you know resilience and motivation inspiration because we as humans we're we're amazing and you just have to find that that amazingness in you because we all have it and we can accomplish so much yeah the world needs more of it that's for sure man um i found it pretty remarkable as I started this project and I call this a project because it's like, you know, my writing, my social media, my, you know, uh, this podcast, my public speaking, like all this, I just kind of lumped it into one project. Cause all it is is like an act of service for me, but it's really remarkable how the, uh, the feedback that I've received was, I had no idea. I couldn't even have imagined how well received. I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't had a naysayer or two, but it's literally like 0.000002% people mm-hmm. you know that are like yeah you know very critique uh minded and uh you know that's probably just them having their own issues that they're projecting on me but i think the world needs more guys like you man and uh definitely uh you know the world the world needs more positivity in general regardless definitely yeah it helps me to it makes me feel good knowing that i can you know help others through my message so i really don't like talking about myself but uh you know, if, if I know that someone's going through anything similar and I can help them, you know, get out of that dark spot. For sure, man. That's, that's enough for me. Last question. I have a philosophy that I've worked on. Uh, it took me a while to figure this out um, because for me personally, I was so worried about my legacy for a lot of years. And the listener already knows this question is coming because I, <laughs> I ask everybody. But for a lot of years, I worried about my legacy, right? So I was like, okay, I got to be this uh, – I was going to make captain in the Navy. I was going to be this, you know, LDO Bosomate God, right? That was like the legacy I was going to leave behind. And uh, in order to do so, I focused on my reputation. And what that meant was like networking myself with the right people and ensuring that I took the right jobs and all this stuff, right? So if I'm working this backwards, you know, to, to fulfill your legacy, you have to worry about your reputation. But it's my belief that what happened to me was I forgot about the two most important things, which was one, my value system, my, you know, my belief in God, my acts of service, uh, you know, these, these things that make up your value system forge into your character. Right. So, you know, if you work it forwards, it's your, you have your value system that forges your character. And then if you just worry about those two things right there, your reputation and legacy will take care of itself. Did that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that was a statement. So here's my question. (laughs) So if, um, you know, let's say something happened and, uh, there was some, I don't know, reason that you would never know, uh, because it's important that nobody would just tell you what you want to hear. What would you hope, uh, that people would say is your character, right? Like what is the character that you hope, uh, you have now based on all your experiences and what you're trying to do now with sharing your message and your story. Uh, what, what is your character now and, and how do you do that? How do you, how do you work on that every single day? Well, that's a good question. Everybody uh, says that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll see that coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. 
Um, I would say I would want people to say I was an educator. Mm. Um, I, you know, I want people, I want to, you know, I want to help people and I want people to learn. I mean, I'd like to think that people are learning from me, um, you know, not necessarily day-to-day activities. If you want to learn that, I could teach you too, if you're blind. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I guess how to navigate life. I don't know all the answers. I don't think anybody does. But if I can do one thing right and someone else can learn from that, or if I can do something wrong and someone can learn from that, uh, their lives can get better, they can make the world a better place, then I'm happy. I definitely think you're doing that, brother. Um, you know, and I don't think you always know the impact that you have, and that's sometimes good and sometimes bad. Uh, you know, it would be really nice to know how many people's lives you're saving or how many people you're impacting. But uh, I think it's pretty inspiring, inspiring and pretty powerful uh, when guys like us just do it anyway. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so I don't mean this in a condescending way at all. Uh, I'm super proud of you. Uh, it's, it's amazing uh, the work you're doing and the message you're sharing. And uh, I'm sure that everyone that knows you and loves you is very proud of you as well. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. That was my conversation with uh, Adriel Fernandez, the blind ninja. Super powerful story. Uh, What did you think? Um, I really enjoyed talking to that guy. We talked off mic a little bit, and um, we're going to try to coordinate something for him to come down Hampton Roads and maybe once all this coronavirus stuff is over and people can travel, uh, get out for a trail run or maybe take him over to the USO and get a bike ride in and I really look forward to connecting with him more in the future and seeing how um, maybe I can help share his story a little bit and, um, man, maybe just pick his brain on a workout. I think that'd be great. Uh, So that, you know, there were a lot of takeaways there. Um, The biggest takeaway for me is that no matter what kind of hardship or how in the dark you may be at this moment, you know, there's always a reason to push through persevere Uh, like he said you know he had somebody he could reach out to his brother Uh, and then look at all the great things in his life now and all the good that he's doing Uh, so again I'm really proud of him Uh, he's on YouTube Uh, he's also on Twitter real underscore blind ninja he's on Instagram uh, blind ninja and he's on Facebook the blind ninja project which I also thought was pretty cool, right? Like, <laughs> this guy's blind and he can have all these. So he has more social media platforms than I do. Uh, so, you know, he's not letting anything hold him back, man. So reach out to him on whatever platform you're on and uh, just let him know. Uh, that, Like I said, that, that would mean a lot to me if you would let him know uh, how much you loved his story because I know I loved it. And again, guys, if, if you like what I'm doing, I don't ask for money. I don't need you to buy anything of mine I don't need you to yeah I don't need anything except if you believe that this is positive and it's inspired you in some way if you would just share it with a friend that would mean the world to me all right guys I love you keep evolving